Jim, we'll let you do music next time. That was great. That was good. Some people laughed at me. I came in here with two cups, and now one of them's gone, and I'm working on the other one. Anywho. Well, that was fun. That was great. Thank you all for singing. Thank you for participating. Uh, what a wonderful day. Um, so, if you uh, recall, whenever I had the opportunity in these past, uh, I think it was past year, to come before you, I've been working my way through Ephesians. So today we're actually in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 through 6 today with a particular emphasis on verse 6. Uh, so I read from Galatians chapter 3 uh, right before um, our prayer. And that is kind of a, uh, you could say a counter, or not a counter, a reference to this, uh, what we're going to be talking about today as well. So we'll refer to that in a moment. Uh, but we are going to read Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, uh, and then we will get into our message this morning. So this is uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians, Paul, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men, which was not made known to the sons of men, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray uh, really quickly, and then we'll get into it. Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear your word, open our eyes to see your truth. Bless this word, bless our worship, may it be acceptable in your sight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we uh, went through chapter, all of chapter 2, and chapter 2 is a, uh, a great summary of the gospel. He starts off with... Um, if you, well, you could flip back if you want to look, but he starts off with, just goes back to the very beginning. You were dead in sin, right? You were dead in your trespasses, but God came in through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be saved as a free gift, right? Because of what Jesus has done. And so he goes through um, chapter 2, uh, all the way to verse 10. He talks about salvation and he talks about even what it's for, Right? You are, um, you are his workmanship, right? You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, and then in the rest of chapter 2, he reminds us that we were once Gentiles. He kind of brings up this whole Gentile versus Jew distinction, right? How the Jews were first given the scriptures, but then the Gentiles were... Uh, can be grafted in. And this is kind of where he picks up in chapter 3. 
he continues on this little distinction, this mystery. That's kind of, if we had to title this one, this would be the mystery, um, these first six verses. And so throughout the Old Testament, the revelation of Scripture um, and the promises of salvation were thought to be designated to the Israelite nation alone. And kind of you can see this throughout the, throughout the Old Testament as you're reading people that wanted to take part in the blessings and the promise of Christ, they would have to literally become Israelites. There was this whole ritual on how they could come in and be part of the nation, right? Um, so uh, Ruth, for an example, you know, came in through marriage and um, Rahab as well. You see them being, they were at one time Gentiles or Moabite or um, I guess Jer- Jericonian. I don't know what. Anyway, they came in and they were part of Israel. But Israel was to be God's chosen nation, his holy people, to be the light of the world. But you know the story and how Israel failed to do his job, right? Israel failed to be the light. So you have these high points with David and Solomon. You have these high points with Moses. You have the high points with, say, Joseph um, and some of the other kings after David, some of the judges and all that. But for the most part, right after one of these high points, it just takes a deep nosedive. um, And they fail to do their job. They fail to be the light of the world. They fail to keep God's law. So, despite their failure, the people of Israel were convinced that someday someone would come, a Messiah would come, and reestablish the political kingdom of Israel. Right? And this is seen by some when the disciples are talking to Jesus right before he ascends. Do you remember what they ask him? Is it now you're going to establish the kingdom? Is it now you're going to come back and you're going to rule? Are you they're talking about an earthly kingdom. They're talking about political power. They're talking about the same kingdom they had in the days of David and early days of Solomon. They're talking about that kind of kingdom. But Jesus, we know, um, when he gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles, right, a few times later, or a few days later, um, the scope and the scale of the gospel was opened up in their eyes, right? They were able to see, and this this is what Paul talks about in this mystery, where Um, He says that when you read this, or excuse me, verse 5, actually, where'd it go? Anyway, yeah, verse 5, which was not made known, right? The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it now has been revealed to the holy apostles, right? So this... The Spirit came in and illuminated the Old Testament to the apostles, right? And so they all of a sudden, it clicked. And they all of a sudden saw that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus and his work, and not only his work to save Israel, but his work to save the whole world. And you can see little glimpses of this throughout the entire Old Testament, right? The promise to Abraham that kind of started this whole thing off. Abraham was promised that all nations of the world would be blessed through him, right? Not just one nation, but all nations would be blessed. And we'll uh, maybe get back to that in just a minute. Um, So this was uh, finally revealed through the apostles, this great mystery, and Paul summarizes this mystery in verse 6. 
He says, this is the mystery that was revealed. This is the mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Right? And so we're going to take these three points. Okay, you can kind of look at that verse 6 and you can pick out these three things. What, are, what is the mystery that the Gentiles are now? All right, we have these three points. We have fellow heirs in Christ, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise, right? So we're talking about fellow heirs. What does it mean to be a fellow heir? What does it mean to be a member of the body? And what does it mean to be partakers in the promise? Okay, so this is the mystery that is being revealed, all right? And this is good news for us, by the way, right? The last time I checked, I didn't, I'm not Jewish, right? I'm Scottish, English, ascent, descent, excuse me, not ascent, descent, right? Um, I don't know what else. I, my, my older brother took one of those little DNA test things, and anyway, now they know them. They've got them. They've got them now. I'm not giving them mine. Anyway, that's my conspiracy theory for the day. Okay, anywho. What was I saying? Oh, yes, this is good news for us, right? Because we're not Jews, all right? But Christ Jesus opened up the gospel for everyone. And this is great news. Okay, so this means this applies to us. We are the Gentiles, right? We are the ones who can become fellow heirs in Christ, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. All right, so let's start off. Number one, fellow heir in Christ. All right, so an heir is talking about an inheritance, right? Somebody, a, a child, a son, who will get an inheritance, right? Um, this implies adoption into a new family, right? Heir, we become heirs, right? How do you become an heir, right? You're either born or you're adopted into a family, right? And we know from Ephesians 2, we were dead in sin, right? We were born dead, and then Jesus made us alive, or God made us alive through Christ, all right? And I read for you Galatians chapter 3, uh, for it's, and it said, I read that in particular, it said, we have been adopted by God into his family, all right? Galatians 3, 27 um, says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, you are all one in Christ, all right? Did you see that? The nationality difference, Jew or Greek, it's gone, right? Slave or free, the status, gone. Even in terms of salvation in Christ, the gender distinction, right? There's no difference. Men, women, all can be saved. Jew, Greek, all can be saved. Slave, free, all can be saved, right? All that distinction is now gone because we're all one in Christ. And this is um, the adoption part. He, can, he adopts all of us. And then Galatians says, continues on, it says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. So he mentions Abraham, and I mentioned Abraham a second ago, but this is what he's talking about. When you say heir to the promise, what promise are we talking about? Well, it goes all the way back. It actually goes, can go back further, but it goes mainly to Abraham. Y'all remember the song? You know that little song? Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that one? Yeah? 
We'll sing that one next time? No. All right? And then we'll start shaking our leg and doing all that number? Anyway, no. We'll save that for Bible school. But anyway, Father Abraham, okay, we become part of this family that God promised to Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? A couple of things, right? I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. And through you, all nations will be blessed. Okay? So we're part of this nation. We're part of this family. And through us, through Abraham, through us, this nation, all families will be, or all nations will be blessed. But keep going. The promise was given to Abraham, but as we read through the Old Testament, it's expanded as we get to different characters. So Abraham gives the promise to Isaac, right? And passes from Isaac to Jacob, right? Where Jacob has the 12, tri- or the 12 sons who have become the 12 tribes of Israel. You know that story about Joseph um, and how, you know, he goes to Egypt and is sold into slavery, but he ends up saving his whole family and they grow and they're blessed in Egypt until put into slavery. But before then, do you know that Judah was the one who's actually given the promise from Abraham? Judah was the one who carries on, you could say, that family promise line, right? And God promises Judah that the scepter will never depart from Judah, right? The scepter. Who carries the scepter, right? It's a king. So he's saying the kingship alludes to this kingdom, right, will never depart from Judah. So there's another little promise. Then we get to Moses. After all, you know, 400 years of, uh, in Egypt, in slavery, they've grown to a million, two million people, now this nation. And Moses comes, or Moses comes on the scene, and God sends him to rescue his people out of slavery, right? And we know all the mighty works that God did through there. But when they came out of Egypt, God expanded the promise again. He delivered the law. He said, this is how you are to be my people. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the sacrificial system. He gave them the priesthood to show, to set them apart as a nation. And all that was pointing to a greater promise in a minute. But one thing very interesting he says, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's another promise. He will be our God, and we will be his people. All right? And they will continue on. After Moses, there's the judges, and um, Joshua, and then the judges, and then in comes the king era. And the golden era of Israel, right, is King David, early days of King Solomon, right, as far as morally. Well, you know, anyway, David wasn't perfect either. But... This is where God really blessed and God expanded the kingdom. Um, At one point during Solomon's reign, it says that silver was as common as stone in Jerusalem. That's incredible. Silver was as common as stone in Jerusalem. It was just laying around on the ground. Like, oh, it's not even worth picking up. Like y'all seen the pennies sometimes? You walk around and you go, you know what? It's not even worth picking up, right? Partially because of inflation, they can't buy anything these days. But, you know, you even see a dollar, and you're like, well, I can't buy anything with that anyway. Might as well leave it there. Uh, Anywho, beyond the point. I keep getting on. Anywho, moving on. Okay, so David was given another promise, right? David was given another promise. He was actually promised 
from you, David, will come a son, will come an heir, who will establish a kingdom that will last forever. And he will reign in righteousness and justice. He will reign in righteousness and justice. So the promise keeps getting bigger. The promise keeps getting more involved and more in depth. And if you read through the prophets, it keeps getting, it keeps getting more, um, more specific. It keeps getting grander in scale and in scope. Like you get to Daniel chapter 7, and it talks about the Son of Man descending from heaven. By the way, did you know that Jesus uses that title for himself more than any other title? He uses Son of Man. And it's pointing back to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man comes down from heaven and he sets up his kingdom. It's a pretty cool little prophecy. But all this is building up this promise. All this is building up Abraham's family as he promised. And finally we get to Jesus, where he, Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. He atones for sin and he makes eternal life possible through faith. This is all part of the promise to Abraham. The work of all of Israel, the work of Jesus Christ himself, is all part of the promise. And we are heirs of that promise. We get to participate in that family. That's our new legacy. That's our new family. Is when you become a Christian, you are now part of the family of Abraham. You are heirs of that promise. That's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. All right. Um, so, what do we receive as an inheritance from our new father, right? Of our new family. What do we receive? All right. An heir gets a inheritance. Um, and so, the Bible talks about a lot of this, and it's in um, Galatians three talks about that. Romans talks a lot about this, but I kind of boiled it down into three points or three main things so we could move on to the next two points. We get freedom from the bondage of sin. That's what we inherit. Righteousness through faith. We inherit that as well. And then we inherit the hope of eternal life with God. These three things. And if you want to boil it down into theological terms or words, justification, Sanctification and glorification. Justification, being set up, being declared innocent from sin. Sanctification, being made holy in God's image, right? In, in Jesus the Son. And then finally, glorification, being given the new body to live forever with Him. See Him face to face. That is our inheritance when we are heirs of the promise. That is really, really cool. In other words, all that Jesus, all that God has accomplished through Abraham, through Moses, through David, through Jesus, all of that he has given to us. Pretty incredible. So that's heirs of the kingdom or fellow heirs in Christ. Then the next part is members of one body. All right, we spent a lot of time talking about this several years back. Uh, I can't believe it's been several years back that we actually talked about this, but Bryce spent a lot of time talking about the body of Christ, so we're just going to kind of skim through a few little things. But if you want to look up a great passage that talks about how we are the body of Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
is excellent for, and it describes all this in, in some detail. It goes all the way through um, chapter 14, 12 through 14, talks about how we are the body, how we are, um, well, I'll read, I'll read verses 12 and 13 for you, and then we'll kind of summarize a few things. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, he mentioned it there again. See that, the Jews or the Greek, the slave or the free, right? All those distinctions are gone because now we're one body. We are one body in Christ. But this doesn't mean that we're not individuals, right? There's individual body parts. Fingers, right? Nose, earlobe, right? Pinky toe, right? That's used for finding furniture at night, right? That's what that's for. But, you know, get somebody, you got it. And others are just like, well, huh, what are you talking about? <laughs> Thanks, Scarlett. Yeah. Okay, good. Anyway, um, we're unique because we're many members. We're unique in our service, right? This is what this means, unique in our service. Um, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, uh, then miracles, and then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, so he lists all these gifts that make us unique, right? We are unique members of this body. We're unique in our presence, right? Some gifts are in the foreground. Some gifts are in the background, right? Some gifts are, you know, standing in front of the microphone, right? Some gifts are back in the back taking care of the kiddos so all this can happen, right? Some gifts are in the back right there running the sound and running the screen and all that kind of stuff. Some gifts are in the front. Some gifts are in the back. But guess what we're all doing? We're all serving the one body, right? We're all serving one body. And as you saw today, gift of music is, is nice to have, right? To serve his body, right? That one's nice to have. All right, all these different gifts, but all for one body, right? So we're many members, we're unique in our service, we're unique in our presence, but we're yet unified in one body. We're unified by salvation, all right? Saved by the same spirit. Okay, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, all are saved by Christ. We're also united in leadership. United in leadership. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, the first part of it says, God arranged the members in the body. Right? And later it talks about Christ being our head. So we're united in leadership. We don't get to pick to be the head, right? If you, you know... We don't get to call shotgun on the head or anything like that. We are all body parts built under the head, right? Under the head. We are being led by someone else. And that's what helps unite us as well. Not one person is the leader of the church, right? I mean, yeah, that would be bad. Y'all know, y'all can think about um, any of these I don't know, just off the top of your head, any of these like cult practices that follow this one individual, you know, and they place him in, or her in this line of superiority and they, you know, treat them like a god and then all of a sudden, like, woo, what happened? They're all dead now. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. Anywho, God and Christ is our head. He's our leader. 
And because he is our leader and because we are part of his body, you know what else that unifies us in? We are united in value. We're united in value. For uh, the verse 18, second, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, the second half of that says, right, it says, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chooses. Each one of them as he chooses. So if God chose you to be the pinky toe, right, God chose you specifically to be that pinky toe. He cares about where you are enough to place you in the exact spot he wants you to be, right? God chose you to be, I don't know, the whatever, the, the elbow, you know? I, you know, it's just all metaphor, right? But if God chose you to be the person back there in the nursery changing dirty diapers, right? He cares about that position just as much as he cares about the sound, the music, the preacher, because we're all one body. We're all one body. And another thing that unites us, we're working for one goal. One goal. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, we strive to excellence in building up the church. Building up the church. That's the one goal that we all have united. So when Paul says that the mystery is we are fellow heirs, we're members of the same body, this is what he's talking about. Talking about unique members with our own jobs, with our own presence here and there, with but united in salvation, united in service, united in leadership, right? And united in a goal. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave free, all can be united in this one body. It's incredible. That's what that's part of the mystery. Remember, beforehand, they thought you had to be a Jew to be part, right, of the promise. But now it's anybody. Anybody can come in. Anybody can be part of this body. That's the gift of salvation. And all of this is through the Spirit. That's what he says, through the Spirit. So this all means that as part of the same body, we're all given the same Spirit of Christ. Pretty cool. Everything that Jesus accomplished... Everything in the Old Testament through the promise that's accomplished is given to us. God's Spirit is given to us. And finally, it says we're partakers of the promise of Christ. Partakers. This is back at verse 6 in Ephesians 3. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So this is has kind of immediate context, and it has a whole scripture context, and we kind of mention the scripture context when it says the promise to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the prophets, to the nation of Israel, all that kind of stuff. That's the, that's the grand scope, the grand context to this promise. But then there's an immediate context, what Paul is talking about, and that goes back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, where Paul is listing out this whole promise of salvation, Right? This is what it means to partake in those promises. What do we actually, uh, what does God give us? What can we get through this partaking in this promise of Christ? And just as a summary, you can go back and read chapter 1 and 2, and you'll find all these things in there. You get peace, because the hostility between God and man has been reconciled. 
You get freedom because Jesus paid the price for sin and has declared us innocent. You get a purpose. We are a new creation created for good works. You get a family, right? One body in Christ. You get assurance sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? We get hope. We are united in his death, then we'll be united in his life. And then we'll get glory. We will be seated with him in the heavenly places. All that found in Ephesians 1 and 2. All those things. And so Paul is talking about this is what it means. This is the mystery that any single person, doesn't matter who you are, can partake in these things. You can have peace. You can have freedom. You can have a purpose. You can have a family, assurance, hope, and glory. In other words, all that Christ said, all that Christ will do, will be ours too. It's pretty incredible. Then finally, the last part of this verse, very important. Verse 6, rereading this verse one more time, says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel. Right? This is the mystery that all of this is accomplished through the good news of Jesus. Through his work, right? Through his actions, through his sacrifice. See, um, one of, well, I haven't heard this too much recently. There was, kind of was kind of a fad, but it's kind of gone a little bit down, but now it's kind of just kind of changed language a little bit, I think. Um, but modern critics of Christianity, uh, they say Christianity is bad because it's exclusive. Right? Have you all ever heard that language, the exclusive nature of Christianity? Right? Um, but think about what all we just read. Right? They're, they're true to a degree. Right? Christianity is very exclusive. I call it inclusively exclusive. Does that make sense? No, let me explain. Who can all be a Christian? Right? We just read all this about the promise, about all this, and Paul mentions several times, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave-free, doesn't matter who you are, you can partake in the promise of Christ. But, right, how is it exclusive? Because it only comes through the gospel. You can't get it any other way. You can't get Christ without Christ. That's what people want. People want the blessings. They want, the, they want to be able to do whatever they want on world, but then go to heaven and expect, oh, I was a good person, you know. I can come into heaven. I can partake in the glory, but yet at the same time, as Bryce says, they lived like hell on earth, right? You can't do that. You can't get Christ without Christ. You can't. It's just, it just sounds simple, right? So this is the problem. All can be saved, but you can only be saved through Jesus. So we're inclusive that anybody can be saved, but we're exclusive because only one way. That's what Jesus said. I am the way. That's it. No other way. Right? So this is the criticism. But listen, uh, listen to Romans chapter 10, and we'll, we'll close with this. This is a great... Um, 
a good set of memory verses. Uh, we got to share. I got to share this yesterday um, at a funeral service. Uh, it was a blessing uh, to be there and to serve. And this is kind of how we ended that funeral service as well. Romans chapter ten, verse nine through thirteen. Now think about everything we've read, everything we've we've talked about, and put it in the context of these verses. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, everyone, who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing promise. Jesus did all the hard work for us, right? Throughout all of history, building up the promise, then Jesus comes and he fulfills everything, taking sin on himself, being the sacrifice for us, coming back to life, and now he is able to give us life. We don't have to do the hard stuff. Jesus already did that. What do we do? We confess of what he's done and believe in our heart that he's been raised from the dead. God says, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we're calling on your name. Jesus, we trust in you, for you are the only way. Lord, you are the only way, and your word is the only way to you. Lord God, you died for us. You took our sin and put it on the cross, and it's been paid for. But you came back to life, defeating death once and for all. And now you are sitting at the right hand of God, alive forever, interceding for us. Lord God, we pray that we are part of your family. We thank you for the opportunity that through faith, if we just confess with our mouth that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you've been raised from the dead, we can be saved. Lord, thank you for this salvation. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for doing the hard work where we could not. Now, Lord Jesus, help us believe. Help us to go throughout this world being partakers of the promises of Christ. Give us your peace. Give us your freedom. Give us your hope. Give us your glory, we pray. Help us to build up your family, your house, your body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.